Hello and welcome to another episode of the E-Reads Podcast. My name is Liz and I'm your host. And on my podcast, I talk about books, authorship, and all the different parts of the creative journey. Today, I'm really excited to have fellow fantasy author Zachary Hagen on to talk about his fantasy series. We talk about character development, which is probably one of my favorite parts of storytelling. And he really helps us explore how character development is critical to series and how his storytelling process really focused on character development to push the series along. So now that you know a little bit about Zachary, let us jump right into the episode so you can learn more about him and his series. Zachary, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yes, I'm really excited to to talk all things about your books and, you know, you're working on book four and how you manage everything. But I thought I would start with what I like to call a bookish question, just something light and fun to get rolling. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So you have your series, The um, Eternal Chronicles, and there's three books out already. And it got me thinking, what is, you know, when you are being a reader, what is the perfect series length? So like, you know, you have like, there's two books, three, some get up to 20, 30 and so on. So like for you, what is like the perfect series length? You know, I think it, it totally depends on the type of story being told. I Mm. think that three and five part series are kind of sweet spots. I don't know why odd numbers work for me there, but um, probably because three and five acts is what's typical of most story arcs. Uh. So it seems to fit really well with kind of the first, second, and third act of like a typical book. Like I tend to use a three act structure within my books. So um, for me, I think reading a three or a five part series really works well. Um, I really like two of my favorite series actually fall right in line with that. The Hunger Games, of course, is three books, and that's one of my favorite series. Um, but also the Time Quintet by Madeline Langle is a five-part series, and it, I love those books. Yeah, you know what? I, I have to agree. I think three and five is a nice sweet spot because I feel like two is not enough. Like I feel like I like series because you get to hang out with the characters, and you know, even now that I'm thinking about it, I, I like TV series that are long because you get to like hang out with the characters. So I think three and five is perfect. Like you're not getting stale. It feels like it's just, yeah, I like that three and five. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have a series. How long is this going to be? I am planning on five books for this initial series. Um, I already have the fifth one kind of plotted out and ready. To nice. I'm done with book four. Um, but I'm open to doing more books as sort of a side series if it ends up becoming really popular at some point. Right now, I'm still waiting for that kind of launch where it gets really popular. But, you know, little by little, talking about it, promoting it. Absolutely. Um, Before I ask you more about the promoting and how things are going, I'm curious, how did you get started? You know, how did you go from reading to, you know what, I want to write? How How did this happen? Well, I've always known that I wanted to write in some capacity. Um, I remember putting together like little 
books as a kid. There was a bunch of papers stapled together with nonsensical words strewn in there because I was like five or six and my sentences were non-coherent in writing. Um, But the journey really started, I think, when I was in college and I started going through creative writing classes because I got a minor in English with an emphasis in creative writing because most of my classes were focused on literature and writing for that minor. Um, And I actually started Eternities Well in my advanced creative writing class my senior year. Wow. Okay. So when you started writing in this creative writing class, you know, did you immediately know, like, this is a series? Did you put it away? Like, how was that? I actually, I thought maybe it could turn into a trilogy, but I didn't know that it was a series really until I came back to writing it um, when I got sick and had to leave my first teaching job. Mm. Um, And I recovered, but I still didn't have anything to do. I mean, I had my severance pay, so I didn't have to get another job. So I thought, well, I have this half finished project. Yeah. I can use the time to write. And as I kind of initially, I was trying to pants it. I was trying to kind of write it off the cuff, but I thought, okay, I've never finished a book before. Maybe I'm a person that needs to plot it. Yeah. (laughs) So I did. And I realized this is a much bigger arc than will fit in one book. So I expanded it and initially I thought it was going to be three books, but then book three was bigger than it needed to be. And then book four was bigger. I mean, book four is starting to look like it's going to be the longest one in the series so far. Um, And there was no way to fit all that into three books. So it expanded to five. (laughs) Oh my goodness. But I kind of like that progression as far as length. I think sometimes people go too long with book one. And again, unless you really have you know, the characters, they have this arc and whatever. I think that can be really hard. I think it's nice to give people like a little taste and then you kind of get longer and longer because now they're invested. So I'm really excited to hear about that structure. Yeah. And, you know, they're epic fantasies, but they're also meant to be YA style books. They're definitely accessible to younger kids, but the themes I think are universal and able to resonate with a wide range of people. Um, But, you know, if you're writing for a teenager, they don't have the time in their schedule to read a thousand five hundred page book. Yeah. Unless they are just a voracious reader. Like I read The Inheritance Cycle when I was in middle school and high school, but that was also my favorite thing to do was to read. <laughs> so. Yeah. I was thinking like, yeah, like back in the day, like there wasn't all these distractions or demand. So it was really easy to like bang out like these long books, but like now <laughs> like teenagers are almost like many adults with their expectations. So it is pretty hard yeah. to, to finish that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so shorter than really long epics like Lord of the Rings or Inheritance, but um long enough that it still fits with the demands of the genre. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned you you write epic fantasy, which always blows my mind because those books are, they are packed with depth in, in story. How was that tackling epic fantasy, especially as, you know, your first, you know, novel writing project? 
You know, I think that I'm so grateful for the commentary that has been out there on writing and story um, in all its forms. Um, I was a huge fan of The Last Airbender growing up um, and Avatar with the Blue People. Ironically, they share a name, but they also share an incredibly rich world building and reading about how those things kind of happened and how it was done really helped to get a sense for the scale of what it meant to build a world. So even though it doesn't go into extreme detail in the books, I have a very good idea of what the cultures of the different nations are and cultural customs. And while it's not the focus, it's there as a backdrop, which makes writing within that world a lot easier. Oh, nice. And really exciting, too, because there's all these different things you can pull from. Mm -hmm. Please tell us about your world and your story. Who do we follow? What What's going on in it? Sure. So the series follows predominantly three main characters. It turns into four in book two. Um, Elior is this... At first, he's this very insecure, kind of whiny protagonist that, and I was told this, I didn't realize how whiny he was until I had students read the book and comment on it, but um, he goes through this evolution of being a young adult, just entered his early 20s, very lonely um, because he lost his brother in a freak accident that transported him to another dimension that he can't get to in the first book. And he has to figure out how to move beyond just being within himself to looking outward to be able to solve the problem. Um, and then you have Opal who starts out as a princess, quickly becomes a queen when her father dies. And then she has this legacy to protect and this huge expectation to be something that she doesn't quite feel prepared to be. Yeah. Um, and then Nyx is a merman who is cursed and has his tail taken away and he's forced to become a land dweller. No. Yeah. It, so. Right. Um, so I'm already invested because <laughs> like there's all this depth Okay, so he loses his tail. First of all, also, yeah. I love the names of these characters, by the way. Thank you. Um, I tried really um, to tie things into their culture. Like all of the, like Elior is a bastard prince. Yeah. And so all of the royal characters in Vidanya, the human nation in the books, all of their names start with, all the males start with E-L and all the females start with E. I don't know if it's E-M. I need to look back at some of the names, but all of the males start with E-L. And I know all of the female characters at least start with E. Oh, that's clever. So, Oh, that's a clever world building thing. Yeah. Family lineage. It's, um, and their family name is Barbadanya. So sons of Adanya. So it's all very culturally connected. Um, and then Nyx means water spirit. Oh, and, a lot of the um, dwarven names, which Opal is a, a dwarf, a lot of them are either gemstones or types of rock or um, either in this language or another. So I pulled a lot from different cultures and um, tied in some Spanish to some of the names because I'm Cuban. 
um, and added islands and things like that in there to really kind of put my culture in there. The dedication of my first book is to my wife and it's written in Spanish. So, Oh, nice. Oh, I love that. There's so much depth just on the names. And then I can imagine the different themes. Um, but I'm also curious because you mentioned like your students have read. How has that experience been um, having that feedback in, in almost like real time? It's really exciting to see people both enjoy and critique the work. Because of course, when um, my second year teaching, I had my students actually read the book for class um, because we were focusing on reading to learn. And yeah. I thought, well, I know exactly what the answers are. So I have to work a little less hard to really understand this book since I do already. Um, and it was interesting seeing the vast range of opinions, like even kids who didn't really love fantasy were enjoying it. Oh, nice. There were some that had complaints about it. And I ended up, um, I gave them extra credit for giving reviews. To them, so I thought, why not? Um, and so right? I, got a few, I got a few bad reviews from that process, but you know what? I was like, it's fine. Actually, bad reviews add legitimacy because if they're all four and five star reviews, Everyone thinks it's just family and friends. So mm -hmm. the first one-star review I got, I was like, yes, it looks like people who don't know me are reading this. Um, just That's a really good reframe and a really good way to, to look at it. So yeah, definitely uh, authors take that attitude. I love that. Yeah. I mean, reviews, they're just opinions. Ultimately, actually, I've bought some books because of the bad reviews because they highlighted some things that they didn't like, but that I knew that I would love. So to me, there is no bad review. Oh, I love that. Love that. Love that. But also I'm curious, teaching is a hard job. <laughs> it takes up a yeah. lot of your day. You know, how do you, how do you balance all that? I'm sure, you know, people listening are always kind of like, I don't have time to write, you know, I can't take this on, but you, you have this demanding job and you still manage to write, you know, what did you do to kind of balance all of that? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, I think actually teaching almost helps with that in a sense, because when you're teaching a class, you have either a curriculum or a set of standards that you're trying to instill over the course of a semester or a year, and you have to break it into bite-sized chunks. You can't sit down and write a 90,000 word novel in an afternoon. It's something that you're going to do over three to 12 months, really, um, maybe longer. Um, but really, three to 12 months is where I've been um, in my writing journey with these books. Um, and you have to break it up into pieces. So I will do writing sprints about 25 minutes a piece. I'll try to, ideally, when I'm functioning at my peak as a writer, I'm doing that three to four times a day and cranking out about 2,200 to 3,500 words a day, depending oh, nice. on where that's at. 
And that's not something that everyone can or should do. I just really, I'm a fast typer and I plot the book. So I already know where it's going. Um, but learning how to break things into chunks and looking at, okay, what can I do in this amount of time is hugely helpful. And those skill sets feed into each other because I have to manage my time and my students' time as a teacher. And as a writer, I have to manage my time and my scheduling for publishing, as well as all of the other aspects that go into that cover design, all the things that have to be done for a book to actually go to print. Mm, absolutely. And are you um, self-publishing or are you working with someone to help you in this process? What does that journey look like for you? I actually own a publishing house. So what? I'm sort of self us more. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sort of self-published in that my publishing house does my publishing. Um, and it's small. Most of the time it's just me, but I do outsource some things. Um, and it's fun. It gives me a lot more control. Yeah. Um, because I think that what a lot of people don't realize when they get into writing is that a lot of these publishing houses have a very specific goal and frame of reference for what mm -hmm. they're wanting to put out. So if you have a particular story that you want to tell, it might be changed or influenced by a publisher. Whereas if you go with either an indie press or if you self-publish, you get a lot more creative control. It's a lot more work. It's a lot more work. But um, to me, it's worth it because even if it might be harder to not have the corporate support, I get to tell the story exactly as I want it. Right. And I 1000% agree. Yeah, absolutely. That is super cool. Um, for those listening, are you, uh, you know, and maybe curious, are you taking submissions from, you know, people who are looking for a publishing house? Are you keeping it smaller? Any words there? Right now, um, we actually do have a project that we're working on slowly. Um, I'm searching for an illustrator at the moment right now Ooh, for cool. a book that um, I'm working with an author with. I've done the editing, but it's a children's book. So it needs pictures and it needs um, formatting. So I'm looking for the right art style for that at the moment. <laughs> Oh my goodness, fun, but also challenging. Um, in you mentioned the edits, and I'm curious because you you know have this background in teaching, and you've taken creative writing classes and things like that. How is the editing process for you? Like, is it scary? Is it not so bad? You know, how is that process for you? Yeah. So for my first three books, I used an editor to do a lot of like the large-scale editing, now I can kind of step back from my book and see those things for myself. Good, yeah. Um, so I've done some of those edits for myself on the fourth book, and I have a really strong grasp of grammar, um, so I do a lot of that editing myself, and then I run it through um, an editing software to catch things that I miss, because I'm going to miss things, but the computer doesn't. Sometimes it gets things wrong because it's a fantasy world and oh, there yeah. are unique structures that I adhere to as a creative choice that I don't take every suggestion, but 
I think finding an editing process is challenging, but you know, once you've done it a couple times, you start to get into a rhythm for it. Very nice. It, it seems like this has been a really enjoyable process um, for yourself. What has been the like number one takeaway or number one thing that you've learned through this process? Goodness, I think it's just how easily it is for, or not easily, how easy it is to put your heart on the page. Mm. Um, especially during my first book, having left my first teaching job and being sick and having all these kinds of things happening all at once. There was a conversation between a couple of the characters that was really almost like a prayer for me because it connected me to some deeper truths about the circumstances and kind of helped me to relax into what was happening and to know that I could move forward. Absolutely. And I think that that continues to be the case. I always end up learning something about myself when I write a book from either a conversation or a passage or something that kind of says, I didn't know that was in my heart, but there it is on the page. Oh, so I, I think that, that, yeah, I think even if it's not journaling, writing can really help you to know yourself better. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. Absolutely. It helps you know your strengths, your weaknesses um, so much. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That's like really exciting. Um any details you could drop about book four? When is that coming out? Any details you want to share about that? Book four, I'm anticipating, because I got behind, I'm anticipating it to be out in November, like the last book. And it is the second to last book. It's the setup. Um, so Ooh, stakes are high. Stakes are high. It's that last little bit before everything breaks free. So there's political intrigue, there's war, there's, um, there's love, there's actually um, conflict in romantic relationships. There's um, a hidden place that they have to go really deep to find. So it's another quest. Um, and it's, it's fun. Oh, yay. And where can folks uh, pick up your books? Where can they connect with you? Yeah. So um, all of my books are available on Amazon. The first two are actually available pretty much anywhere books are sold because they um, are distributed through Ingram. Um, and if people want to connect with me, there's my website, ZacharyHaganWrites.com, as well as my TikTok and my Instagram, which are both ZacharyHagan underscore writes. Yay. Very exciting. Um, Zachary, any last words before I ask my last question? Um, Anything else you want to add? Um, just that I hope that people enjoy it. And if they loved Lord of the Rings or Inheritance or Narnia, this is a modern book that takes a lot of that legacy and runs with it. Oh, that's exciting. Um, one of the things I, I love about my podcast is I don't not only find books for myself, but like for like my little brother or my nieces. And so I I cannot wait to pick this up for him. He's right at that nice age for, for all of this. So I cannot wait for him to read it. That's awesome. I hope he enjoys it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Zachary, my last question is, 
I like to end with, you know, some inspiration. It could be a word or a phrase that we can use in our creative process, like a writing prompt or to spur us to art or whatever creativity. So if you had to leave us with a word or a phrase that we can use in a, a prompt, what would you use for us? My favorite phrase to use when I'm writing or plotting a story is what if, and then fill the blank. I think that it's extremely liberating to be able to ask that freely and let your brain fill in the blanks without pushing too hard. Oh my goodness. All right, listeners, stay tuned to the end of this episode to see what I do at Zachary's prompt. What if, um, I don't know. I'm thinking something kind of like if you're stepping kind of like on the toes of danger, maybe all this fantasy talk, like what if I do this or what if I press this button or what if I do this and having some fun, some danger and some comedy. So thank you for that. Of course. Zachary, have a great rest of your day. Listeners, if you missed any of the contact information, it is in the episode show notes. So make sure to pick up Zachary's um, books and uh, we cannot wait for book four. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. What if it all works out is what they say. But what if the villain actually wins? What happens when the sky turns black and evil reigns? What will humanity do when the hero lies crushed under the villain's foot? The thought of glorious chaos draws a wicked grin to Nara's face. She has plotted the best plan and rejoices at the anticipated defeat of her enemies, the heroes. Oh, how people cheer for them, how they root for their victory. But will their cries of anguish and horrific whimpers of terror be that much more deviously satisfying? Nara snickers and her fingers tap against each other. There is only one thing I must do before my plan is set in motion. Her grin widens until her cheeks ache. She lifts herself from the chair and turns from the wall of monitors and computer analytics. Nara is on a mission to head to the ice cream shop across the street. She will get a banana split, then set off her victorious plan. Nara turns the lock and steps outside. With a skip in her step, she heads to the shop but misses the curb. Stumbling and tumbling, she falls into the street in front of a fast-moving bus. The horn blares and the world twirls upside down as her body makes impact. Blinking longer and harder at the clear blue sky, Nara curses and says, I didn't plan for what if I am hit by an oncoming bus.